This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me. It's podcasts for the weird at heart. You're listening to Keep Screaming, a horror podcast from two best friends dissecting horror movies one by one. My name is Ryan Larson. And my name is B-Bass. Every two weeks, we will bring you a brand new episode where we dissect a slasher film from top to bottom. We will look at the movie as a whole, going over the story, the casting, music choices, go kill by kill, and then rank it on how it succeeds as a slasher film. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at ScreamingCast or by searching Keep Screaming. You can find me at B not B, that's B-E-E, not B-E-A, and Ryan at Ryan Larson. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and Castbox, or online at podpeople.me or keepscreaming.com. This week we are dissecting 2008's April Fool's Day, directed by the Butcher Brothers. Uh so this week we are covering April Fool's Day uh, from 2008, the remake of the uh, original April Fool's, which is what, 1986, yes. Um, So 30 years down the road, is that right? Yeah. 86, 96, wait, 96, 06, no, No, 20 years. 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Which is a little later than the rest of the like slasher boom a lot of that, right? Didn't most of it end no. in, uh, I guess, 09, huh? 2009, right in the yeah. Yeah, so right it's in the middle. Right. 2000, 2009 was the Friday remake. 2010 was the Nightmare remake. Nightmare was, like, really the last one. Yeah, that, that, like, ended it. So mm-hmm. I guess, like, kind of, like, right in the middle of it. But this one, I, I feel like, is definitely um, overlooked. And I didn't know it existed. <laughs> there's Yeah, there's reasons for that. We'll get there. <laughs> Uh, So the synopsis for this film is the new April Fools revolves around a party given by two rich siblings for their friend. Tragedy strikes when their friend falls over a balcony and dies. One year later, the teens responsible for the accident become the targets of a twisted killer who begins hunting them down one by one. One by one. Um, Yeah, that is what happens. Yep. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was released March 25th, 2008. It was a straight-to-DVD release, so that, uh, I mean, good timing, at least one week before April Fool's. Yeah. Um, yeah, budget, maybe $5 million, um, which seems high, but I don't know, maybe because of the year it was shot and the things they were trying to accomplish, I guess I could, I guess I can make sense of that. Um, there was no box office. This was a, um, straight to video type of film. You know what I wonder as far as the budget goes? Cause like watching it, I mean, it's definitely like one, I bet if they actually shot it in LA, that house cost a ton because I yeah. know, remember, um, so B and I got to chat with Amanda Presnick, who is a producer for Cinestate and Fingoria, and she um, – about Satanic Panic. And I remember that was one of the things she told us was a house like the mansion they used in Satanic Panic, if they had filmed it out here in California, would have cost them like a couple mil easy, even just for a night or two. And they found it in Texas, and I don't think they paid anything. I think they gave – I, if I recall correctly, she said they gave the people who owned the mansion, their son wanted to get into film and they gave him like, they let him be a grip or something. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I forget the specific details, but it was basically <laughs> like, yeah, his son wanted to be involved with the movie. So we're like, yeah, sure. Thanks for the house. Yeah. And I guess it was like a water park in the backyard of the house. So for anybody who's seen Satanic Panic, <laughs> Uh, we wanted to do an episode on it, and then we just, with all the craziness that happened, we just never were able to um, get Chelsea on for it. Um, maybe someday we can still make that happen. But yeah, um, yeah, I guess the house for those of you who have seen it, um, I think it's streaming on Shutter right now. Yeah, yeah it's on Shutter. Mm-hmm. So if you have Shutter, you can watch it on there. I mean, we both recommend it. We loved it. Uh, the house that they use had like a freaking water park in the backyard. And they're like, oh, this is cool. We can't use it, but that's cool. Yeah. So I wonder, but like watching this, because the mansion they use is, I mean, it's a big ass mansion. 
Um, and so I wonder if that could do with budget. And I always wonder too, cause this is like very CW ish. Like mm-hmm. I wonder sometimes when I watch CW shows, what do you think the budget is on an episode? Like, like a mill? Yeah. You think so? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. I it's it's just funny because we always hear about like budgets for movies, but I never really hear about budgets for TV shows. Uh, very seldomly, uh, like Game of Thrones. I remember near the end hearing like what the budget was on a TV show. But yeah, which in those budgets. So for shows like that, their budgets are hella high an episode. Right. Um, yeah. I think Walking Dead, it's like five or seven million, like in that range per episode. It's like super high. Um. I mean, when you're just talking about paying all these people, mm-hmm. um, like what at the end of Friends, weren't they all making like? Weren't they making like ten mil an episode or something? Like something, or maybe one mil an episode. So yeah, they're making like twenty two million a season. Yeah, just yeah, and that's just the cast, like the yeah. name, the core cast. You're not talking about actually producing. I mean, single cam sitcoms are a lot cheaper to produce than you know something like the cw shows like for example like the legacies if anybody's watching that that's like a vampire diary slash originals um well you know what's that called spinoff spin-off. <laughs> and there's it's a monster show i mean there's it's a monster of the week show that takes place also in like a hella fancy boarding school for like witches so there's like this hella nice big mansion, which again, this is shot in Atlanta, not in LA. Right. Um, but then also there's gotta be a massive CGI budget because there's hella fucking monsters, CGI monsters. Interesting. Um, it's not a cheap show to film. Yeah. There's no way. Even watching when I watch something like The Flash, and like sometimes mm-hmm. sometimes the CGI can be a little shot of it, even when you watch it, like there's a lot going on in this. Yeah. Like like CGI wise. So yeah. Arrow, Arrow was a little more practical because it was a little less like superhuman, you know. But like right. when you get into the Flash, it gets a little more. Yeah, they've got to be able to do fancy shit. Yeah, so it's interesting when you're comparing like lower budget movies with high production TV. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I would say this would be an expensive CW episode. I don't know. Right. It's interesting, but from what I understand. Um, usually about like a million an episode hmm. interesting uh yeah i mean that whole tangent brought to you by the fact that b said this seemed a little high for this movie which i agree because like you watch the movie and it does seem a little bare bones uh and there's not really any like big name talent or anything even for the time it's not like they were like big for like it's not like they were teen draws like you know we we watch a lot of these these slasher remakes especially from this era in particular and you get a lot of those like teen draws you know you get like um jared padalecki and jensen ackles yeah and so um yeah it's interesting uh no rotten tomato score it has a 17 percent audience score there were three reviews for it um dustin putman uh film file said it's exceedingly stupid and convoluted leading to a big huh ending Wesley Lavelle of Cinema Site says the remake ignores the fun of the original in favor for a twisted game or twisted tale of revenge. And the final one was from David Cornelius of E Film Critic, who says, as do- a dull as dirt slasher movie invaded by fashion model rejects from the CW network. Yikes. Yeah. Those are some words. Yeah, those are some harsh words. I mean, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, there's a lot to agree with there. There is. And it's funny, too, because for it's. um, I think it's important to note that this I should have known about this movie. That's what kind of baffles me about it. I want to know, like, who this went out to, because in I was watching all of these remakes is when I first got into horror in 2008. I was a junior in high school. And I was going to the theater to see all of those horror remakes. I was devouring slasher movies at the time. I, you know, sort of kickstarted my love for them at that time. I was watching and like Ryan and I dubbed it, you know, at the time it was pre-CW or just as CW hit. I think 2007 is when WB switched to the CW. Yeah. And so we used to call them like, the WB like screams like we would specifically seek out like all these horror movies 
a lot of like independent ones too that had a couple characters from some show on the WB that we watched. Um, K-Bell was in one. Um, not necessarily always slashers, but slashers were super popular. Um, right. oh, killer yeah, movie, alive. Stay Alive, um, Pulse yeah. was the K-Bell yeah, one. Yeah. Um, so they'd always draw, and I watched all of them because I watched all of those WB shows. And I don't know how this missed me. I watched Desperate. I knew the cast of these people at the time. I watched Desperate Housewives. I watched Summerland, which Taylor Cole was in. Um, so I, I'd be interesting to hear from anybody who maybe was a little bit older at this time. Maybe they were exposed to it because I don't know how somebody who was so ingrained in this specific type of movie missed it. Do you remember it at the time? Uh, I know I've seen it. I want to say, oh, probably a couple years after it came out. I was yeah. definitely living, I was living in Southern California. So I would say like, 20, yeah. like 2010. Yeah, 2010, I want to say. And I, I really think I only saw it because I went on a Scout Taylor Compton kick. After Halloween. Uh, after Halloween. Because I remember watching this in that other movie, like Flight 7, 17, 15 or whatever. She's in like another one. Um, but like, uh, yeah, I remember like specifically searching out her horror stuff. So I really think that's the only reason I saw this. Yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah. I mean, they definitely. And what's funny is like, we'll get to the directors later, but I've seen all of their other, like most of their other horror movies as well. Um and I actually like most of the other horror movies as well. So it's, uh, yeah, it's kind of just, like, I mean, it slipped under the radar. I mean, we posted that we were watching it and a lot of people were like, oof, good luck. And then a lot of other people were like, wait, that exists? So yeah. It yeah, it was definitely something that uh, even like horror fans, because we're, you know, that's who's the majority of who's seeing our posts on Twitter, like, or even like horror fans were like, wait, I didn't even know there was a remake. So yeah, I know. I think I didn't realize until we watched the original um, April Fool's Day that there was actually this remake. And I was like, oh shit, what's this cover? And then I realized it was a different movie. And I was like, oh fuck, like I don't know this existed. Um, yeah, I I think it's that could be like part of you know the reception is that people who have seen it go, oh, that's the bad one, but it's not so bad that everybody knows about it. You know, it's yeah. not like aggressively bad. It's not where, the nightmare remake. Right. Where every, you know it exists because everybody talks about how much they hate it. Where this one's like, oh, yeah, I saw that. Not good. Like, that's all they can really say about it. Mm-hmm. You know, just take that for what you will. Yeah. What do you think of this beautiful cover here? Whew. So, I mean, this is technically our theatrical poster because we don't have a theatrical poster. So this is the DVD cover. Um, and it's April Fool's Day, smack at the top, of course, with an unrated um, and a blood drip down to that. Um, similar typography choice of the original film. We've got like a classic sort of modern serif font. For whatever reason, they decided to bring the leg of the R into a line to connect with day. So weird. But it looks so bad. It looks really... Ed- I just don't really understand the choice because it's not like they make anything out of it. And we don't need the day. We know that day goes with April Fool's. It's the type is treated the same. It's in the same color, the same font. Um, So we know they belong together. Very strange choice. Uh, I don't care for that. And then you've got, I can't even read what that says. It says it's going to be a killer party. Yeah. So we've got our tagline aggressively spaced out oh wait no sorry that one says she has a killer party plan sorry oh okay so it says that and it's like aggressively spaced out between the two characters in the background and then we have um taylor cole's character what is her name oh desiree i remembered it when i watched the movie uh in the front with some really nice airbrushed boobies um and whatever weird ass like hair do she had going on in this opening cotillion and then of course our supporting characters in the background one of them with a giant like fishing knife that's like a gutting knife i think um which doesn't play a role in the movie no 
and then also that weapon weird. doesn't exist. It's weird that that's our other character. It's Barbie, right? Yeah. Instead of Scout Taylor Compton, who at the time yeah. I want to say, I want to say the Halloween, yeah, the Halloween remake. Yeah, Halloween out. came out. So like, seven. And yeah. I would even say in the movie, she plays a, a larger role. So I don't understand why she's not on the cover and instead it's this Barbie character. It had to have been like a contract thing. Yeah. That's the only thing I can think of is that was like part of her contract is that she'd be on the cover. Weird. Uh, yeah, it's bad. It's yeah. really bad. Isn't it she blonde in the like movie a- too? Yeah, that's not what her hair looks like. I didn't even know. I didn't recognize that. That was. I didn't know what character that was. I was like, I don't fucking know who this person is. I don't remember this person at all. I mean, it's either Barbie or the chick who dies in the beginning, but both are blonde. Mm. But I don't think it's the girl who buys, dies in the Milan. I don't think it's her because she's. I mean, no, she's blonde the whole way through because they wear the wig. So I have no fucking clue. I, I'm pretty sure it's I'm- Barbie. Who knows who that character is um, or what knife she's holding? She's just from a different movie. Sure. It's the only explanation. It's she's also just popping in. An April Fool's Day prank. Yes, that this character does not belong here. Yeah, I mean, this looks like a Lifetime movie cover, but actually not as good. So, yeah. yep. probably Lifetime. Uh, yeah, it's just strict VOD fair. Yep. I mean, yeah. Um, so. It's not VOD. It was straight to DVD. DTV. Yeah. Right. DTV direct to video. Yes. That's what they call it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's uh this is not something that anybody recognize or hangs on their wall. We can <laughs> yeah. Uh, she has a killer party planned as the tagline on the poster. And then it's going to be a killer party is another one as well as this April fool's day. Put all jokes aside because you may be next. I imagine that was probably like the trailer real these are fine oh they're, they're fine. not yeah no no, yeah. no 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 they're not they're not bad they apply to the movie they're fine yeah i'm pleasantly surprised that they're not repulsive yeah uh no sequels it is a remake of the original april fool's day from 1986 i did find out while doing research though that this was intended to be a sequel to that and then mm. while writing the movie they decided to just make a new one so i'm very sure. curious as to what the sequel would have been like that to me sounds much more interesting yeah i mean and probably would have set up for a better 20 years later slasher story yes i definitely think so uh we have two directors they went under the uh, moniker the butcher brothers and it's mitchell alfieri and phil flores they are no longer um a directing like team um phil flores looks like he doesn't do too much anymore but Mitchell Altieri is still currently directing. He even has a movie that's coming out later this year. Um, together, they directed The Hamiltons, which is um, – it was a horror movie. I I thought it was like one of those like uh, like seven – I don't know, seven ways to die or one of those like weird oh, like collections. That, yeah, things. but uh, it's actually its own and it's um, – the Hamiltons is about like a, this teenager who has to decide whether he wants to help his brother, his brothers, or his siblings have kidnapped people, and he has to decide if he wants to help them or help the people he's kid they've kidnapped. Uh, and then they also did the Violent Kind, which was like a biker gang. It was like this kind of weird, like ghost biker gang cult movie. I I know I saw it and I actually liked it. Um, and one of the actors from from this movie is goes on to star on that as well. The guy who plays Ryan. Um, but I remember liking that movie specifically. Um, and then Mitchell did the night watchman in 2017. Um, but yeah, I mean, they did these, those three movies, Hamilton's violent kind. And then April fool's day, they did all three of these as the butcher brothers. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Michael Wigert um wrote the film this is his only writing credit um but he did work on clown the 2014 eli roth yeah produced yeah yeah um film who directed that i can't remember i want to say it's the guy Um, i think it's the guy who directed spider-man homecoming if i if i remember properly because i'm pretty sure he did clown and then did cop car and then did spider-man john watts did he do Spider-Man Homecoming? Um, yeah, and, and, far from yeah. and Far From Home. Nice. Good good career nice. trajectory for him. Yeah. I really like Clown. I did too. Um, I had cool mythology. That was really good. Yeah. 
It did. It's well done. Um, yeah, so visual effects on clown. So yeah. kind of interesting. Um, yeah, probably just somebody who is interested and works in the industry, but for whatever reason, got out of writing. Yeah. Um, the score is by James Stemple, and this made a whole lot of sense once I saw what he did. Yeah. Uh, because the whole movie, I was like, and I watched it with my roommate Bobby, and he commented on the score several times. Um, but yeah, he James Stemple did uh, the scores for the cartoons, Tiny Toon Adventures, Goof Troop, and Bonkers. So yeah, no. uh, this was probably <laughs> the most times i went what the fuck is the score while watching any of our movies yep and not even in like wow this sounds bad and is poorly produced in a way of like i don't understand what music like why this type of music is playing right now this is very strange what is happening what is going on it was nuts it was very like upbeat and erratic and not like any music i've heard in a horror film yeah 100 percent. now that i've like seen who did it sounds like a episodic cartoon show like especially yeah. during that whole scene with the van like that oh yeah that the van. specifically oh, yeah. i was thinking i was like this sounds like a cartoon yeah it felt like a tv like tv for sure mm-hmm. um and kind of soap like um yeah it was very fascinating we uh live tweeted it um and i think there's a few times that i commented on oh yeah rice said is this a slasher or a chase scene in a looney tune score included oh wow we were yeah yeah i was was really close yeah and i didn't even know that cool i feel good Uh, and then I said a few minutes later, this score is really something else. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yep. Uh, yeah, it was just so, it was just fascinating. So no, that totally makes sense. Um, reading what he's worked on before. I, yeah, I don't know. Like, I wonder if he just had some music like ready to go or like something super similar and he's like oh yeah i mean i'll just use this stuff i've already worked on right like, I, let me just keep a little bit i like fucking hope that there are parts of this that i'm like oh yeah this is in bonkers right like we can go back and watch it and recognize the parts <laughs> yeah that would be fantastic and, I, and again this is why we were talking about so we you'll hear we've already pre-recorded a future episode with um our producer brendan klein for alone in the dark but we had a big discussion on that episode about how we wish every movie had a behind the scenes making um and like this is the kind of questions i have like yeah yeah, there's not like there are choices in this movie that are made obviously that i'm like what happened here and this is one of them because i always wonder i'm like james temple huh guys like uh never went on to do anything like this again (laughs) like uh had a had a background in cartoons how did this happen but like was it a budget thing was he on the studio that day and you're like hey we need some music he's like let me throw some stuff at you take what you want like those are the questions that i have for people yeah yeah i need that's what ryan and i decide our new career is going to be we're just going to take movies that nobody wants a behind the scenes documentary on and we're gonna make one yeah let me track down ask your brothers yeah and ask the questions that we need to ask yeah. Like these ones. Exactly. Uh, uh, Michael Maley is a cinematographer on this film, um, worked in the camera and electrical department on Jurassic World and Flubber. Yep. And then our Some editing. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, our editing is done by Ra- Raul Davalos, who did Dreamcatcher and Benny and June. That was, that was like the other interesting I thought about like a lot of these guys is they went on to like, I, once again, be in like, do pretty high budget and like big big things like i mean Dreamcatcher didn't do well but it was still a high budget like a high profile movie uh, mm-hmm. but I, I also just like this one in particular this movie was the most i'd seen where people went on to do things in different fields like how michael yeah. wigger went on to do the visual effects and then michael malley um went on to work not as a cinematographer anymore but as like camera and electrical so it was it just seemed like a lot kind of this hodgepodge group of people that were thrown into roles Mm -hmm. that maybe they weren't super comfortable with or were still fairly new to 
Yeah. Yeah, which, I mean, is awesome in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Like, I like seeing that going like, oh, okay. Like, especially if they're still – because it's one thing if we do run into a lot of these slashers where, like, we have a writing credit and then they've done nothing else, at least not in internet archive that we can find where this person's done anything else in the film industry. I find it, like, pretty interesting and fun when we – come across these and the writers then goes into like a different field um which happens a lot or we'll see somebody who did the score on this and then they end up working like in sound engineering instead of actually like composing the score they're working on these massive big films like in the engineering department um i find that like really interesting and in a way like oh is this like was this like the beginning, like the stepping stone to somebody's career, like this movie, even if it's a movie that maybe wasn't seen, but did they make connections or do blah, blah, blah to be able to get them into those roles because of this film? Like, that's cool. That's yeah. something you don't really think about when you watch a movie. And that's what we try and try and bring light to when we talk about these things, even a film like Brian, I didn't particularly care for this movie. Um, but that doesn't mean that what's going on isn't interesting and like the story of it. Yeah, no, like a lot of the times with these ones in particular, it's a little, sometimes it's even more interesting to just look and see where these people went and what they did. Mm -hmm. So I definitely agree there. Um, our cast. So we have Taylor Cole, as B mentioned, I, I didn't even know she was, what'd you say she was on? Summer, Summerland? Summerland, that show with, um, Jesse McCartney and Ryan quarantine the guy from true blood yeah yeah yeah. um it had a shit ton of people in it uh the pretty sure the main person like the mom in it was Lori from full house yeah right the one who's like in jail yeah Lori laughlin who paid to get her daughter into oh yeah Kay panabaker it was really good i loved that show had a lot of good people in it um, who I then, yeah, Lori Laughlin, who I then followed into other shows. Of course, it lasted a season because that's right. the story okay. of my life. And why nobody else remembers that Taylor Cole was in Summerland from 2004 to 2005. But <laughs> yeah, that's so, what I'm here for, guys. Yep, that's me, the infinite uh, depth of one season uh, uh, teen dramas. Yes. Uh, yeah, so uh, she is Desiree Cartier. Um <laughs> She wasn't, like B mentioned, Summerland. She was in Heroes. She now has a very successful career making Hallmark movies. Um, so she's been in a couple of the Ruby Herring movies, My True Fairy Tale, and the One Winter series because there's like four of them. They're all like mm -hmm. One Winter Proposal, One Winter Wedding, One Winter Vacation, like crap like that. So uh, oh, and like the still princess. What is, what is that one with the Christmas one? Now there's like three of them. Oh, yeah. Um, that chick with the chick from Pretty Little Liars, right? No, from iZombie. I don't know. Oh my god. There's too many of them. I can't think, but it's like the she goes and then they meet each other and oh, then there's yeah, one we were where looking they're at married. A, we were looking at And a, then there's one where they have a baby. I remember, yeah. I don't Yeah, I know what you're oh talking about. Oh my god. Yeah, it's, it's a similar series. Anyhow. Uh, and then Josh Henderson plays her brother, Blaine Cartier, and he was on the Dallas re like reboot and uh, Desperate Housewives are his like big ones. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he was like the hot uh, landscape boy at the time. I thought like I definitely when I would watch that show thought he was going to end up being like bigger than he was on Desperate Housewives. Yeah, because you definitely like could tell like he was getting some attention from that role. And I, I mean, like Dallas did fairly well too, so kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely I remember, had a crush on that. Yeah, I remember seeing him a lot in the promos for Dallas because I was watching like a lot of CW when they were promoting it. Yeah, um, and then like we talked about uh, Scout Taylor Compton as Torrance Caldwell. Um, she is from the Halloween remake. And then who? I don't remember her in Nashville. Yeah, she popped up on, I think, like... I'm probably not it was, it looked like realizing it's her. Arc, so. I'll have to look it up because I did watch that show. I didn't finish it, so it could have been one of the later episodes. I think it was, yeah. 
Um, when it switched to uh, what was it on the TMC, right? CMT, yeah, or CMT, yeah, yeah. Um, we get Joe Egerton as Ryan, and he pops up in, like I said, the violent kind. He is the actor who like followed the Butcher Brothers to their next film as well, and then he was in um, a season of American Horror Story Coven. Um, and then also Jennifer Siebel as Barbie Reynolds, who we think is on the cover, but she's definitely blonde in the movie. She's done a ton of like one episode stints on a bunch of television. So she's on Mad Men, Numbers, Life, like, and just a, like a lot of stuff pretty much from like 2008 to now. She's still like currently acting, but it's all just like one, one episode roles. Um, and then everyone else is kind of just, uh, didn't do even much of anything notable, even in television. Um, we have Samuel Child as Peter Welling, Joseph McKell here as Charles Lamford, Frank Ard as Wilford, and Sabrina Ann Aldridge as Milan Hastings. Yeah, it's so funny because as soon as they start saying like Cartier, like a lot, um, like as the movie keeps going, and I'm like, there's so much about this film that you can tell they're just trying to make it seem rich, even though it really does not feel rich whatsoever. Um, and like that last, that choice of like last name and then like Hastings and Caldwell, like all these really old money type names. I'm like, Oh my God. It's just, it's just those little things that like kind of stick out to you when you're watching something like this, that I would normally would never pay attention to the last name of a character, but it just felt so intentional in a funny way that I was like, yep, that, that was on purpose to try and, you know, bring some sort of association with the jewelry. Um, it's funny too, because Ryan's the only character with the last, with no last name. And he's definitely like the poorest character in the movie. Mm-hmm. So They're like, ah, oh, no, nah, he doesn't yeah. need a last name. Doesn't even need one. Um, this is a teen scream kind of it's, they're not, te- I guess they're teen. They're not teens. They're yeah. like they're early. They're young adults. adults. Yeah, they're well, like they're maybe teens in that first scene, right? Because you're debutante ball, yeah. you're a teenager. But like, well, okay, it's weird because it's only a year away from that, right? But like, there's a character yeah. who's literally running for like office. So, um, yeah, it's because I think they've already had their cotillions. Like Desiree and everybody has already had their cotillion, and Barbie and, um. This is for like Torrance. It's like it's confusing. It doesn't really make any sense, but basically Torrance is holding a cotillion or Desiree is holding a cotillion just for Torrance at her house. Yes. It's like a coming out party specifically just for the one girl who's apparently younger than them. They don't I don't maybe they explained it and it just, you know, went through my head but you don't really understand like what their relationship with each other is like why they're friends you don't really understand why any of these people are friends nope. they all seem to they're hate just, each other they like really hate each other yeah yeah I know um, Scout Taylor Compton described it as a slasher meets mean girls and I was like uh you wish it's I mean in the sense that everyone <laughs> is just like super mean to each other yeah right uh, but definitely not like Mean Girls because that movie is clever and witty and meta, and this is none of that. Uh, we don't really have a killer. Uh, I mean, so like kind sure. of accidental. Like basically, we have two accidental killers, and that would be Desiree and Torrance. Uh, yes. um, but technically, we do not. There's no one actively killing or trying to kill or have. There's motive for both things, like motive and quotations. But like, it's, um, you know, like both times, of course, to align with the title here. Like both times, that motive was a prank that went wrong. It was never like intention to kill. Right, but the the sort of scenario, if there was a killer with all the you know, fake kills that get set up in this film, it would be Torrance. Yes. Um, yeah, and I mean, I guess technically she's the one who, yeah, she's like wearing the wig, she, like pretending. Yeah. Yeah. She orchestrates the whole thing. Um, I mean, with the help of everybody else. Right. But it's, this is, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it sets you up and like goes through the motions like a slasher. But then of course, because it is April fool's day, just like the original one or something like cry wolf. Um, 
you you don't actually have any of those kills. The kills that we do get are um, the two accidental deaths. So, but our killer motive. So Torrance's motive is the fact, and Ryan, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, that Desiree ruined her cotillion. Yep. Uh, that's her strategy. Um, her entire reasoning for orchestrating these very elaborate kills is that she ruined her coming out party. Like, and that was supposed to be the day that she, you know, things turned around for her and her, yeah, that's, that's literally it. Yeah. Tell her how, how she ruined it. What? How did she ruin her coming out party? Oh, by, you know, drugging a girl that she didn't like coercing her brother into sleeping with that girl and then as that was about to happen she was going to film it so she could most likely then show everybody a unsolicited sex tape of her um but instead she got so fucking drugged that she fell backwards off a balcony and died that's I, how the cotillion is ruined. I just love that she is like, that's literally the plot there. Like the premise of her doing this is you ruined my party by accidentally murdering <laughs> her friend. It's like the most like, like literally the most petty fucking shit I've ever heard in my entire life. And also just like so skewed from any form of like reality. No. And it's like very, it, it's funny. This this film is actually very, very in line with all of these aughts films. It's everybody's the asshole. Like that is the true trope of all of these films um, that didn't really exist in the earlier the not you know the scream wave and post scream and in the original like eighties era. Like you had likable characters and even like your bully bad guy. Like you had one. Right. And all of these like aughts slashers, every single character is either mean or just a bad person. Mm-hmm. Like that's just the biggest trope of them all. And this one fits to the T to that. Um, the pr- only person who actually has real motive is the brother. Yes. I mean, his, his sister framed him for the accidental death of Milan to get her money because she wanted a brand new Mercedes. Like it's all so like poor me. I'm rich and bored. Yep. Yeah. Um, no, I totally agree. Like this is totally falls in line with, like you said, just all, all those movies from that time, like all the remakes, like my buddy Valentine and sorority row, like everyone's just hella mean to each other and super catty and bitchy and petty. And um also even like the non-remakes like cry wolf they do that too like everyone's mm-hmm. super mean to each other even though they're all supposed to be like quote unquote friends um Who, whose friends are like this <laughs> yeah i know and uh this this totally does fall in line with that uh yeah. it just yeah yeah it's it, it like it makes it worse i think because it's so it's trying so hard to be fancy and that like yes and like it makes it really like i don't think i'm trying to like figure out how to say it because there's no like charm to sorority row but we still ended up like liking it you know mm-hmm. uh, i think but you know sorority row at least at least all those movies still have a final girl that you end up rooting for and they usually mm-hmm. have like a care even then they usually have like a, a character a supporting character that ends up being pretty decent too like who maybe they're maybe not like a a lot of those movies didn't have a supporting character who was like they weren't like a bitch necessarily but they were like weaker but then they ended up coming around to be stronger to help the main character but this has nothing like no one like that everyone is awful the whole way through and like desiree is presented as our quote-unquote final girl and she's like awful Mm-hmm. Uh, like you I mean, don't root for her survival no there's nothing about her that makes you want to root for her because like her journey through the movie is just like discovering what's going on but there's no like redemption arc or anything there's no there's nothing like to i mean like from the beginning of the movie she's set up as like a bad person and the whole way through it's not it's like you said it's a 
oh, p- poor me, I'm rich. Because, like, there's nothing in her story that makes you go, oh, like, she's really learned from this. And, like, she's like she's mm-hmm. a different person. It's like, no, she's just, like, afraid of dying. And, <laughs> and yeah, like, that's, and they that's point it. that out at the end, the whole big reveal. Like, you do – they give you some teases where you start to think, like, oh, well, she's trying to protect her friends. Like, they're starting to die off. She is maybe, like – trying like realizing that she's maybe not been a very good person or a very good friend in the past and she's trying to warn them and help them and then literally they destruct any progress that she might have made in like the final reveal of our you know faux killer when she talks shit about everybody and in like her moment of playing for her life Mm -hmm. and then she just becomes like the big bitch again yeah yeah, so I mean, so B pretty much broke down the beginning of the movie when she was talking about like all the stuff with Milan and and like yeah. the Cotillion. So like how the movie progresses is it's a year later they've gone through this whole trial process. So like all these you know rich white kids have gone through this trial process. So they're all coping with it differently, right? Because um, it's been really hard for them. So mm-hmm. uh, Blaine is like basically has taken to sleeping with randos in a hotel room while wearing a wife beater um, and growing like the world's saddest mustache. And um, everyone else like, ch- uh, let's see, Charles has like made a lucrative career off like kind of exposing everyone. He wrote a, like a book about it and he, he's like wants to do reality TV. Um Barbie and Peter are still like running for office and Barbie is also like a pageant. She's like an, an old pageant winner. And that gets brought up numerous times too, of like how old she is for pageantry now, uh-huh. uh, which is also a very weird thing that happens in this movie. Ryan has like, like his whole character arc is that he is like pretty much away from everyone doing his own thing. He has separated himself from these people. He's still like, into video videography though because he was like taping the whole cotillion um and then like uh i don't know where like desiree's whole thing is at this point i think she's just like living normal rich life because blaine is the one who's like ostracized Mm -hmm. yeah Um, she's she has access to her money now she's driving the mercedes that she wanted to buy that they get in a fight about in the beginning you know she's just living life right and torrance has uh (laughs) gone on to she's an actress and I know she like, she's starring in a horror movie. Um, and so like, that's where they all are a year and it's one year since the death and they get called to the grave of Milan. And um, like, there's an ominous note that says like, you know, the, the, the killer needs to step forward. And then there's, they're provided a videotape of the killer having killed Charles. And this is how they killed Charles. So Charles is um, a gay character in this movie. And he i you know like i don't want to speak for um the queer audience but i'm sure if i were to ask aaron or brennan about this character um they would say that he is offensive (laughs) um because he is very much like 2008 uh Uh yeah yeah like the 2008 uh very like uh stereotypical like flamboyant gay like he has a little like little dog named what's it elton uh-huh yeah and he wears like these little tiny shorts that are like super bright like silver like metally silver um right it was like the consequence of like queer eye they're like oh yeah so you know carson's like the flamboyant one like that's we're we're gonna be good and we're gonna be you know represent the you know the queer community and here's here's a characterization of a like real person that people really like yeah because i know like i think carson even originally talked about it um where he felt like he was then like there was no representation like they had queer i was on logo at the time which was like a premium cable channel that like actually had uh queer content and I remember I used to watch it because we had, I don't know, DirecTV with like hella channels. And we used to watch Queer Eye all the time. And I, yeah, I b- believe I'm saying something about like, oh, I felt like I wasn't represented. And then I felt like I was being represented but mocked. Like I was being turned into a 
exaggerated version of myself in the media. And that's definitely what this character felt like, like an exaggeration of a real gay man. Not to say that, you know, there's not gay men like this that exist. Oh, yeah. But But that's not. (laughs) That's not what the movie's trying to do. No, they're. Yeah. Um, so they and the killer trick. So Charles can't swim. He says that like earlier in the movie, and they trick him into drowning by throwing a stuffed dog into the pool, and he thinks it's his dog. So he jumps in to save it, and then he drowns. He can't swim. Yeah. Yeah. It's really bad. Um, so they yeah. see. Yeah, they see this video, and they all like. Not all of them, because I think it's Barbie and Peter. Like we can't be. We can't do this. Like. So right. we like we have to go do these other things, but Ryan, uh, Blaine, Desiree, and I thought one other. Maybe it's just those three though, because I don't think Torrance is with them when they. Find, so maybe it's just those three. Maybe Torrance is there. I can't remember. But anyways, they rush to his house and they find him dead in the pool. Um, and then it just basically the rest of the movie is them like. The rest of the movie is being like one step behind the killer while they go to right. warn their friends about the killer. Yes. Um, and and they're like slowly trying to uncover like – and like the whole time they're gaslighting Desiree into thinking that Milan is back from the dead or never died because mm-hmm. um, they have Torrance dressing up um, and using props from her movie shoot as – dressing up as Milan and then also using those props to make it look like her friends are dying. Um, so they go to warn Barbie and Peter at the, well, they go to warn that was like, they go to warn Barbie and she's electrocuted. Yeah. She's like getting ready for a pageant and she ends up like getting electrocuted in her dressing room. Right. Um, and you know, of course, Desiree finds her, and then tries to tell them about it and then her body's missing, right? Yeah. And so they're like, oh, you're like, you're crazy. You're making this up. Like you're trying to make us all like think that something's wrong and it's not. You're like over-exaggerating. Right. And they're still trying to just be like what Charles did like was an accident or whatever. And then yeah. they go – so now that Barbie's dead though, they go to – she goes to warn Peter at his office and he gets run over by his own like van. Um I forget what they're called, but whatever, like his campaign van. Yeah. Um, and then she starts to chase the killer and calls Blaine and Ryan to tell them like what's happening. And that's when she's like convinced that it's um, Milan because she like sees the killer and this shot in particular, it's not Scout Taylor Compton or Milan. It is definitely a stunt driver wearing like um, a a large man. Yeah. Very like, large man. Yeah. Wearing a blonde wig and like an, uh-huh. uh, an all black jumpsuit and like very mask. easy. There's a scene that's extremely bright and well lit and you legit see him. And I, I'm like, oh, cool. Like I'm loving this wig. This guy's rocking. Like there's no, I think it's funny. We keep trying to like this movie hits all of the notes of a lot of these other slap, like, slashers that we do like Uh like sorority row and cry wolf and where it's it feels very similar and very in line it's doing the same things but something just feels off and i i really just think it's all of the behind i mean the script is obviously we've talked about that it's it's all like hilarious like there's no real meaning behind any of it and we don't need like some crazy great um motive for our killer right like that we've talked about urban legend for example we've talked about plenty of movies where like the motive is kind of lacking like it's not amazing but you can believe it Mm -hmm. um that's all fine and dandy i just think it's between like the weird stuff in the script and then like trying to make it seem rich when it's obviously like can't pull that off mm-hmm. um and then it's just not very well shot no really weirdly edited it's not well lit like it's overly lit yeah like the there's you see way too much that it's there's no atmosphere to the film whatsoever and everything like, feels 
wide open and empty. Like the mansion yes. feels empty. The streets yes. feel empty. Like everything just felt like so like on a lot. They, yeah. Like they didn't have the money to fill the house with actual furniture, you know, extra things or the time. I mean, we don't know. We'll never know. Um, maybe unless Ryan and I make that documentary. <laughs> <laughs> But I I think that's just what's like lacking here when we're like breaking all these things down. I keep going like, well, no, this this should work, and it's just it just doesn't for for those reasons. Yeah, and I mean a big reason it doesn't work too is because like, and it it plays into them like trying to know who the killer is. But it's like it's like you said too. Even like all of that is just so poorly edited because so. A lot of times, you know, in a slasher, what will make or break your movie is I feel like a lot of times what makes and breaks your movie is your killer, or your final girl. And if you have one that's really stand out, it really helps. Right. So like, you know, a movie that had a kind of weak killer girl, like most likely to die. Like we spend so much time with our killer and like um, and like all his fun theme kills and like seeing him. And even though we don't know who he is and we're trying to figure it out, we see him enough. Like, they're still able to show us that character. And, like, we ended up really enjoying that movie. And part of that is Mm -hmm. because of the killer. This feels like something similar where we have a final girl that we don't really care about. But, like, we also don't spend any time with the killer because they're trying so hard to be elusive about who it is. And, but the thing is, is like, they didn't need to try that hard. Like, they could have done the same thing and given us kills that were more graphic or more entertaining and you know proof proof positive of that is the original april fool's day where Mm -hmm. we don't see our killer at all but at least the kills we're getting and the mystery is still like entertaining and like it still gives us an overall like fun movie and we see our killer as a character right exactly where in this film like torrent's is out of the movie i mean we don't really follow her until desiree goes to warn her yeah and she basically like doesn't buy it either she like yeah it's strange because she is like the quote-unquote killer and then she also is like the biggest name draw in this movie but she's probably in the movie less than everyone else Hmm. yeah she's barely in it yeah um yeah, it's it's really interesting. And so then they dive into this whole thing where they're convinced that Ryan's the killer. Mm-hmm. Um, Desiree's like, it's Ryan. It's for sure him. Um, like, classic red herring. He's, like, got this, like, duffel bag thing that he's bringing up to his apartment. And his apartment's, like, hella creepy and it's got all this shit in it. You know, hella creepy because he's, you know, poor, unlike them. And... Uh, then we see, you know, our killer go after him and slit his throat and there's blood everywhere. And they had like called the cops. Um, and the, what's the brother's name? Blaine. I keep forgetting. Blaine um, is like, oh my God, like we have to get out of here. Like they're going to think it was us. Like we've got to go. And so then they like, there's this really weird scene of them like leaving with the cops. And then one of the cops like gets in the elevator with them. Like just all this like shit that's not necessary and just feels like really strange, um, which all gets explained in the end. Don't you worry. Yep. Um, and so then they're like, well, fuck, it's not Ryan. Um and they move on (laughs) yeah and like i know we just watched it and i'm actually still struggling to remember how exactly they get to their house like because they do head back to the mansion Mm -hmm. well they're in the the mercedes yeah i'm just trying to remember why it's parked literally right in front of her apartment right I, I, i don't remember why but they do head back to the cartier mansion um, yeah. and they find that Wilford, their butler has been murdered. Um, yeah. and then they, they get separated in the house and Desiree eventually finds her brother tied to a chair. And, um, there's this whole bit where, well, they're both tied to chairs. Um, yeah. she they wakes both, up and sees them next to her. Yeah. And there's this whole, then we get the reveal that it's Torrance and that she, I mean, Torrance pretends to shoot Blaine and then basically gets Desiree to say all the shitty things about everyone and and like also gives her motive of like 
you know, you ruined my cotillion, which is her real word for the prank too. Yeah. And it gives like Blaine his whole thing where, you know, you could tell from the very beginning that Desiree set him up. Yeah. Like we knew that happened. She did that because she wanted control over her money. Yeah. Her family's Uh, money. Yeah. And then there's this whole like very, very sitcom-y. I just watched um, Community just went up on Netflix and there's an episode of Community where Jeff tries to um, fake a class called Intro to Conspiracies. And it turns into this whole elaborate gimmick involving like the drama teacher and like everyone's wearing squibs and everyone has fake guns. And at the end, they like bring everyone out to explain like how it happened. They're like, oh, yeah, I hired, you know, oh, no, they're just like local drama. It's a local drama troupe who played the cops and we got these guns from the prop department. That's exactly what this all felt like to me. Like this very sitcom y, like goofy, very goofy sitcom. Like she's like sitting there literally going, but no, I saw. The cops and he's like they're extras from Torrance's movie yeah. set, and she's like, yeah, "We hired them." Shot. Yeah, and she's like, "But you were shot." And he's like, "Squibs, baby!" And he like makes another one go off, and I was just like, "Oh god, this is so formulaic and like so cheese ball." Mm-hmm. Um, and then how I mean, I said how the movie ends is like Torrance is basically laughing it all off, showing like that they were all blanks in the gun, and so she sh- she goes to show Desiree how they're blanks, and she shoots her. And it's a real, it's a real shell, and it blows her head off. Um, and then the movie ends with a very like fourth wall breaking. Like they do a whole another trial, and they come to the conclusion that it was like an accident. And then like Blaine kind of like looks up the camera and smiles, and it's very much implied that like he di- he did set his sister up to be killed. Like he was very much like everyone, not everyone was in on that. They were all in on the prank, but he ultimately set it up for her to be killed so he would have the entire fortune correct so i like yeah so i guess blaine is like our killer in the movie realistically even though torrance is yeah like, pulls the trigger she's not aware that that's happening um, um yeah yeah so there's two actual kills in the death they're both accidental it's milan and um desiree and then not if you were to count the fake deaths there are eight total kills but two actual kills in the movie um i mean i don't know if you have a favorite kill here oh i do yes yeah okay um no for sure the final kill with desiree getting shot in the head it was the only time in the film that i was like genuinely like oh shit like Like i was not yeah i was not expecting it um and i I mean, I didn't care for that character at all. And so, like, you felt as, like, feels weird to, like, root for the final or quote-unquote final girl to get killed. But she's not really the final girl. Um, one, because she dies. Um, and two, because, you know, she doesn't. They try and set her up to be that, but it's not possible. Right. Um so, yeah, I liked that, like, when that happened, I was like, oh, okay, like, I, you see it coming when she's like, oh, they're blanks, don't worry, and she's gonna shoot the gun, but then, you know, the fact that she, like, got shot in the head and, like, all that, I just, yeah. Yeah, um, I mean, at that, out of the two real kills, that's definitely mine, too. Also, it's, like, their entire effects budget, because it's a pretty decent, like, head headshot, so, mm-hmm. um, I would say that, like, if I were to go with fake kills, the only one to me that like had any impact at all was the the, th- um, the throat, throat slit. slit. Yeah, because yeah. like yeah. all the other ones are almost off screen, like Charles drowning and um, and Ryan get or not Ryan, but Peter getting run over by the van. Like they're all like mm-hmm. basically off screen. Well, yeah, and the electrocuted one, like those ones, you can all easily go like, oh, well, this is gonna be like the original. They're for sure fake. And then the like throat slitting one where you go, oh. Is it real? Like, it does give you a second where you're like, okay, well, like, could this be real? But then, you know, when you watch movies, you go, well, no, because Torrance works on a film set. So for sure, that's fake blood. Yep. And it's a horror film set, you know. It's very easy. Like, it's just all laid out there for you. There's no, no thought, like, thinking that has to go out. They make sure they set you up for every explanation later on. Yeah. Um, I don't like this movie. 
like uh no, I mean, we're, we're, we're at the end of like the uh, of the of the show here so this is where we talk about like its position in the horror landscape largely overlooked and for a good reason that's what i put because mm-hmm. it's it's bad it's just it has it has some it's not like the worst thing ever like you're mm-hmm. it's it's not like offensively bad like you said it's not like offensively bad but it's just something you watch and you're like this doesn't need to exist like a lot of people when they're like oh a remake like why are you making a remake like b and i are obviously huge fans of remakes so we don't do that argument very often of the like why does this need to exist thing because i think that we are both in the camp of like if you can show us a different version of that movie and still give us like something enjoyable we're we'll, we're there for that or their shot for shot remakes i like i like the um shot for shot remake of um my god Funny i can't even think of Yes. Yeah. I think that's a very good shot for shot remake. Yeah. Um I I don't think that necessarily makes it bad if it doesn't bring something new. You might just be introducing it to a newer audience or an actor's different interpretation or whatever. Like I've no issue with like any of that. But yeah, when you have something like this that it's not a well put together movie and it's you know, coming from a, 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 it's sure it's a remake, but it's also like the prank is a, a classic slasher trope. Right. Like somebody posted on April Fool's Day, it's like, oh, what's your favorite like prank in a horror movie? And they're listing all these movies, and I just never made that association because it's not like a classic identifiable. But I'm like, well, I'm adding that to her list. That's a hundred percent a slasher trope, prank gone wrong. Oh yeah, big time. Yeah, no. Once you yeah. B tagged me in that, I think it was Nightmare on um, Film Street posted yeah. that. Um, yeah, and, and totally like looking at that list, I was like, oh yeah, like these are all slasher movies. <laughs> like, uh-huh. the, like a lot of them. I mean, Carrie was in there too, obviously. But like, right. there's so many that I was like, oh, these are all from slashers because that 100 percent a lot of the times is the past trauma that goes right. forward to create our slasher. Um, a prank gone wrong and so this you know could easily fall in line with some of those other ones that are you know prank gone wrong or whatever but it's um yeah it's just not it's just not really something that offers anything Mm -hmm. i think yeah i think you can if you go in with like i don't hate it right i just don't like it i think if you go in with like you're just in the mood for like something like of this aesthetic which i mean i get in the mood for like tv movies and that's like what this feels like so if you're having a couple beers and you're in the mood for like a tv movie and just something just kind of silly and like you're with some friends like i wouldn't be opposed to putting this on right but it's definitely not something that i'm like oh well it's april fool's day it's a holiday and i want to watch something with a prank there's like a massive list of slashers that you can have like so much more fun with um even ones that i don't think are very good like slaughter high like i don't think that's a good movie i don't really like that movie but i'd rather watch it than this oh 100 percent, yes yeah um yeah and like i agree with you it's again it's not offensively bad i'll never rewatch it um but it's definitely something i could see if you're just like in the mood and you're like oh you know what i kind of want that like 2000s gloss and sheen that like those movies had and like you haven't ever seen it and you're like you're just kicking kicking back with some friends and some beers like it's not going to be like the worst thing ever you'll probably have some fun mm-hmm. with it. Um, yeah it is completely unnecessary and shallow as a remake though <laughs> um mm-hmm. So if you are new to the show, at the end of every episode, we do rank our movies, um, which you can find at keepscreaming.com slash the dash list. This is technically, okay, we're out of order here because we recorded Alone in the Dark before this, even though it's coming out after this. So this is technically our 61st movie, but it's actually our 62nd, if that makes any sense. Anyways, you'll find out where Alone in the Dark is later, um, but this is our 62nd movie. Um, And I think we are both pretty... (laughs) <laughs> b already wrote it in yeah it's last it's dead last yeah yeah because um i mean it similar to the the original movie that this is a remake of it's you know setting you up right for the the motions we've got prank gone wrong we've got a past event like we're playing into those slasher tropes but and 
you know, we have this conversation a lot. I have this conversation a lot with my husband um, about like what makes up a slasher. Why is this a slasher? Why isn't this a slasher? And a big part of that is like the focus on the kills. That has to be what leads a slasher. It has to be um, focused on the people who are dying. However, it doesn't mean you have to have a large kill count, but just like Nightmare on Elm Street, we were talking about that. That has a small kill count, but the entire focus of that film is killing those specific characters. Um, That's a slasher. That's the main focus of the film. There's the other tropes that play into it that create it and create the blueprint and what makes it a slasher over another film that has a lot of people dying. Um, but that's why I think it's so interesting to count like the final destination films as slasher movies. And that's why they feel like slasher films, even though there's not somebody with a knife actually stalking these people. It's a supernatural entity called death, but those movies focus on the, these characters dying and how that's going to happen. It's a slasher. And so even if we have these like tropes that, are building the film that fit in with a slasher when you don't have actual deaths and there's no that it's just it doesn't work it's not a slasher right like it is but it isn't which is why i would still call april fool's day a slasher movie as well as this one so the 86 one and the 08 one both slasher movies but they're bad slasher movies yeah exactly and and like the, the difference between this and the 86 one is like it's a bad slasher. It's a it's a really fun movie. Like, and B mm-hmm. and I have said that before. Like, anytime we go over the list, like you look at the bottom of our list, and like it's movies like Happy Death Day to You, Cry Wolf, and April Fool's Day are all in the bottom five. Um, we we both genuinely really love Happy Death Day to You. We both mm-hmm. genuinely really like Cry Wolf. We we rewatched it a lot. Like we like that movie, mm-hmm. and we really liked April Fool's Day. But just like the original April Fool's Day and Cry Wolf, like this is a prank out movie that ends up being a bad – it has tropes that are slasher tropes, but it ends up being a bad slasher movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I am very comfortable putting this movie at dead last. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of wild though. So in the last three episodes, we've had a new number one and a new bottom. So Cray cray. Yeah. And we – it's been two years since we did April Fool's Day. The original? Yeah, we did it like, yeah. Pretty early on. So two of our like long-standing rankings have officially moved, um, which is a little nuts. 2020, man, coming at you crazy. I know. Um, Yeah, so that's that's a lot of, I don't know. That's, that is kind of wild, actually. These movies that have been there for like almost two years got moved finally. Yeah. Well, that was fun. Yeah. Um, cool. We will be back so, in two weeks. No. Yes. Yeah. We, I mean, we will be back in two weeks with Alone <laughs> in the Dark, which I mentioned before we had record, we did do a previous recording with our producer, Brendan Klein. Um, and then I think we have a movie picked out for after that too, right? Yeah. Yes. Uh, we are doing Dream Home, which is a 2010, um, Chinese slasher movie. So we get to do, um, something, uh, foreign, which I, th- I mean, we've done... Game Over wasn't that long ago, so yeah. we've actually been doing um, foreign here and there. But it's always nice to find because the slasher is like an American genre, mm-hmm. um, so it doesn't like we don't have as many as the of those like foreign films that that fit the mold. So we'll be back in two weeks with Alone in the Dark, and then in a month with I already forgot Dream Home. <laughs> All righty. Yeah. And until then, keep screaming. <laughs>